A captain of a ship looked into the dark night while patrolling in the ocean and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message knowing this time his message would surely evoke fear. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. In these dark and foggy times, myriad of voices are shouting out orders telling us what to do and how to adjust our lives. However, one voice signals something quite contrary to the rest, at times seemingly almost absurd. That voice, of course, is the voice of the light of the world, and to ignore would be to our own peril. That illustration captures well the reality of how often authority and submission are at odds in our lives. For most of us, the word submission naturally invokes an automatic aversive response, doesn't it? An allergic reaction of sorts, especially in our highly independent, individualistic, westernized culture and having just undergone and still feeling the fallout of our society's Me Too reckoning. The idea of submission is one that is very much rejected and seen by most as harmful, dangerous, oppressive, or at the very least thought to be approached with much caution. Nevertheless, Scripture teaches us the contrary, that there is such a thing as good authority and godly submission. And in fact, in our passage today, it teaches us without any caveats that as Christians, we are and ought to be submissive to every human institution, even ones who are unjust. But before you turn a deaf ear to what God desires to teach us through his word this afternoon, before we question whether God's holy scriptures are completely tone deaf and that the Bible is culturally outdated or irrelevant, let's consider together the reasons our passage teaches us why Christians should be submissive. We're continuing our study through 1 Peter in our 10-week series titled Hope in a Hostile World. And so far, the author of the letter, Apostle Peter, in addressing Christians scattered all across northern Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, exhorts them to stand firm in their faith despite the difficult situations challenging their faith and perseverance in their day. And these words, which are Holy Spirit-inspired, sufficient, and relevant, recorded for believers throughout all generations, encourages us even today in the same way that we are elect exiles, chosen pilgrims on a path to God's eternal kingdom, presently now guarded by God's power through faith for a great salvation which will be revealed on the day of Christ's return, that we are holy children of our heavenly Father as he lovingly and patiently guides us, disciplines us, and sanctifies us for that final day, and that we are a chosen people, a loving people, a growing people, a Christ-like people, a humbly obedient people, and a gospel-proclaiming people, a people of God's own possession to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And for that purpose, Peter continues to urge elect exiles, you and I, 
who are not at home in this world, but at home with Christ, to follow in his footsteps, to be like him, to know him for who he is, which defines who we are. And scripture says this afternoon, be submissive. So from our passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, in order for us to comprehend and be convinced why, I want to share with you four reasons why we Christians should be submissive. Here is the outline so you can follow why should Christians be submissive. Point number one, for God's glory, from verses 11 through 12. Point number two, for it is the will of God, verses 13 through 17. Point number three, for it is a gracious thing, verses 18 through 20. And point number four, we are to be like Christ, verses 21 through 25. For God's glory, for it is the will of God, for it is a gracious thing, for we are to be like Christ. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this message would build you up in God's truth, that where you are walking and persevering in faith is a path that Christ himself and a million other true followers of Christ have walked and persevered in. Let me remind you today, this afternoon, that you are not alone in this pilgrimage. Amen? There is sufficient grace for your sufferings as you look to Him and trust in Him. And I pray if there's anyone here who do not yet know Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would find the words of our passage, which may seem so entirely otherworldly and countercultural and counterintuitive, to be the most soul-liberating, life-giving words for you, that in Christ there is life beyond death that there is freedom in submission. So please turn with me to the text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, which will be found on page 1015 of the blue Bibles around you. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout the entire duration of the message and follow along, please, so you don't get bored. If you're new to the Bible, the large numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. In fact, if you don't have a Bible... At home to read, please take one of those blue Bibles as a gift from us to help you grow in studying God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25 says this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day of visitation, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why should Christians be submissive? Point number one, for God's glory from verses 11 through 12. Look with me again to verse 11, which says this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of, fl- of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. First of all, these verses reminds us that although the word of God, all 66 books are divinely inspired by God, the chapters and the verse numbers and the headings of the sections that you see in our translations are not. They are mostly for our reading convenience. We see how although verses 11 and 12 falls at the end of the paragraph of chapter 2, it actually begins a new section which ends in chapter 4, verse 11. And we see that because chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 4, verse 12 both begins with words, beloved or dear friends, in some translation, each starting a new section. And you see how this section begins and concludes with a theme of God's glory. And Peter, having instructed how believers ought to relate to fellow believers, to one another, to love one another, Peter now turns to emphasize how believers ought to relate to the world in social order. So in verse 11, Peter addresses fellow believers with a phrase, Beloved, I urge you. Sometimes it's difficult for translations to fully convey the meaning of what the original languages aims to communicate. But what Peter is saying here, when he says, beloved, I urge you, he's saying, I beg you, I strongly appeal to you and beseech you, not as some stranger, not as someone who doesn't know and doesn't care about you, but as someone who loves you, who has been with Jesus and experienced him firsthand. Listen to me when I tell you, as you are sojourners and exiles, as people who are not at home in this world, as chosen pilgrims en route to the celestial city of heaven, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Peter is sympathizing with us, fellow believers, that life in this dark and sinful world is in fact a war. It feels like a war, doesn't it, sometimes? Peter is recognizing the reality that Christians who have the Spirit of God are not exempt from fleshly desires. That there is an identified enemy who attempts to conquer believers every single minute, every single hour of the day. As John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter says later in chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded and watchful and be sober. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6:11, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Peter is acknowledging with us the depths of the struggle and the agonizing at times seemingly consuming lure of our carnal passions, which can be only described simply as warfare. Now, some of you may be asking, well, didn't Jesus die on a cross and his resurrection and all that stuff? Isn't that supposed to have set me straight? 
Aren't I washed? Aren't I sanctified? Aren't I justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ according to 1 Corinthians 6.11? The answer, yes and amen. Hallelujah. It is true. Christians are, in fact, washed, sanctified, and justified. But the question for you, the question that you should be asking is, are you a genuine Christian, a genuine born-again believer? Because the evidence of such status Peter is teaching us is that elect exiles continually abstain, entirely avoid, outright flee, courageously fight as a soldier in battle. And it ain't no easy, casual, passive, let go and let God, God will forgive me. Again, grace cheapening matter. So brothers and sisters, can I welcome you? You fought hard and fought well and made it by God's grace another week. Amen? Avoiding and fighting that temptation was worth it. Abstaining from that situation, that compromising invitation was honorable in the eyes of God. As a result, your worship today is more focused. Your heart and mind is more engaged and in tune. You are not divided all up in here. You are not distracted. You are not ashamed to stand before the body and praise his name, hallelujah, by God's mercy. Amen? But if for whatever reason you've arrived here defeated, deflated, discouraged, disappointed, praise God for his new morning mercies that carried you here to church this afternoon. Be reminded you are bought with a price. You are a new creation. That Christ has spilt his blood and died for you as a substitute. Be assured by this truth, such were some of you, but now you are no longer. That you are a child of God. That you can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus' blood spilt for you. That you are no longer a slave to sin, but a son and a daughter of God. That you are not of the devil, but of your heavenly Father, that through your, though your sins are like scarlet, he has made you as white as snow. Amen? Therefore, brother or sister, if you are discouraged in sin, go and sin no more. Having done all you can to stand firm, stand firm. Put on the full armor of God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, according to James chapter 4, verse 7. You are hard-pressed on every side, but you are not crushed. You are perplexed, but you are not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed because of Christ in you is the hope of glory because of him. This is how, according to verse 12, Christians can keep our conduct among the Gentiles, among non-believers, honorable. Other translation says, live such good lives among the pagans. Some other translation says, keep your behavior excellent among the unbelievers. Another translation says, having your conduct honorable. And that participle, the ing of that last translation, having your conduct honorable, correctly captures how keeping our conduct excellent among non-believers is abstaining from fleshly passions that wage war against our souls. But we don't do it just for our own self-accreditation, you see. We don't do it as a moralistic, legalistic thing that we do to check off boxes on some uh, religious checkoff sheet, you see. We don't do it to win some approval or good standing before God. We do it because we are already made righteous before God. Because though my flesh wages war, my spirit, your spirit is steady by his spirit. Because my soul, your soul is sure by Christ's sacrifice. But more so, the rest of verse 12 says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. Brothers and sisters, we abstain from sin. We say no to worldly pleasures that hinder our faith, that destroy our faith, in order that we may testify about who he is by who we are. That they may see you and I and see that we are different, that we are set apart, that his new life in and through us truly transformed us and delivered us from darkness into marvelous light, that when they see us, they would see Christ. But not only that, that they in seeing our good deeds may glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you understand what this means? In other words, in your abstaining, in your holding fast, in your honorable living, in your genuinely motivated Christ-centered good deeds, you testify of his life in you. And somebody else sees how different you are. Somebody realizes the reason that you live in such a way is Jesus Christ crucified and risen and they glorify God. They eventually get saved. They ultimately come to a saving knowledge of God. Instead of eternal punishment, they praise God forever on the day of visitation, on the day of Jesus' return. Why should Christians not YOLO but submit to God's lordship and to a life of honorable conduct? For God's glory. Amen? For God's glory. That's point number one. As we move through the passage, I want you to notice how many times the reference point for our submission is because of God. Just skim the passage and see how many times the word God or Lord is mentioned. It is only because of God, through God, for God. Any of this makes sense and works. So let's move on to our next point. Point number two, why should Christians be submissive? Point number two, for it is the will of God of God. Verse 13 through 17. Look with me to verses 13 through 15 again. It says this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The meaning of be subject is translated rightly, submit in other Bible translations, And no matter how, we can try to look for technicalities or exceptions. Some scholars try to define submit as to be differential or to respect. They may disagree to the translation to the idea of total submission or unquestioning obedience to whatever anyone, including governing authorities, may command. But the idea that believers should be subject to governing authorities is not Peter's novel or new idea. Rather, it is the standard of the New Testament ethical exhortations. So I can reference Romans 13.1 and 5 and Titus 3.1. Let me read it for you. Romans 13.1, it says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Hence, there is no question, there is no doubt. Peter is exhorting us, even as strangers and aliens of this earth, submit, obey, be subject to all human institutions, that is, all creatures, not limited to civil governments only, but as Brother Pedro prayed, to all human persons placed over us in our lives, teachers, bosses, husbands, supervisors, because we see right there in the middle of verse 14, These authorities are, middle of verse 14, it says this, sent by him, God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Simply, God is the one 
who puts men and women of authority in power for a specific purpose, to carry out moral laws, to protect humanity for the flourishing of society. This is why Christians are commanded in Scripture to pray and work for governments, to act according to God's will, and to prevent abuses of God's purposes for governments. It's one of the reasons why we pray on a weekly basis for authority. For as 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4 says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. Hence, brothers and sisters, we ought to see governments and authorities not as ones cramping our styles, if you will, not as ones who are suppressing our lives, but as God's instruments for His purposes. And if you feel any reticence or hesitation, verse 15 says, again, to to confirm what I'm just sharing with you from Scripture, for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. And what is His will? That by doing good, that by your submission and not by your rejection or by your constant criticism and grumbling of the government and its leaders, that by your obedience to all human creatures or persons of authority that God Himself has placed, you should put into silence the ignorance of foolish people. Whatever criticisms, whatever persecutions, whatever name-calling you may receive from foolish people who do not know Jesus as Lord, Peter says, may your good deeds and your civility show them what the life of a Christ follower looks like. Show them by your life, by your good deeds. Well, what does such a life look like? Verse 16 tells us, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Brothers and sisters, simply Peter is reminding us we are freed servants living under the ultimate authority of our good and gracious Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We can submit to earthly authorities and do good in this society because we know ultimately who is in charge, amen? Who is supremely sovereign, who rules and reigns over all, who makes kings bow down and all nations serve him according to Psalm 72, 11. If you don't know who he is yet, I'm just, let me just reaffirm and say it again. His name is Jesus the Christ, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Christians are people who are free, free from the bondage of sin, free ultimately from the bondage of wicked masters and bosses. They have no claim over our lives. They have no claim over our souls because Jesus is King. Hallelujah. Peter says, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. What that means is don't use or don't mistake your free status before Jesus as a cover-up or an excuse for evil, which will actually, in reality, prove what you are. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Four imperatives summarize our posture as submissive alien residents, yet citizens of heaven. Honor everyone. In other words, be gracious and kind, be respectful to everyone. Love especially fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God because He is the supreme King. He is our only final authority. And this very interesting but very specific but intentional word, not fear, but honor the emperor. Isn't it interesting Peter uses the same level 
of what kind of submission that he wants from us. Honor everyone, honor the emperor. What, what, what does it mean by that? Christians do not submit to governments and earthly authorities regardless of all circumstances, especially when they prescribe what is evil, contrary to the Christian faith. If the government forces us to sin against God, we know who is the higher authority. He is Christ and not Caesar, you see. We do not fear because we are liberated in Christ from earthly powers. So as our American society continues to grow in secularism and oppose Christian values and impose secular values upon us and our children, may we as strangers and aliens of this land, as long as it is in our power to submit, as long as it is lawful for us to do so, may we be proponents of life and oppose abortion. May we be champions of Christian values regarding marriage between one man and one woman. May we be advocates of God's creation order. In His own image, God created them male and female. He created them. May we stand firm in the face of persecution and growing hostility to honor all, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor for God's glory. For it is the will of God. Amen? Why should Christians be submissive? Point number three. Thirdly, for it is a gracious thing. For it is a gracious thing, verses 18 through 20. Look with me there. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, we come to perhaps the most controversial and difficult part of our passage this afternoon, the relationship between servants and their masters. And immediately when we hear of servants and masters, our minds naturally think of the evil and wicked institution of the transatlantic slave trade of the 16th to the 19th century and the root of racism which still continues to plague our nation to this day. And this perspective gives us a much worse connotation of this particular relationship, servant and master, than is accurate for what is spoken about in these verses. And granted, servitude in the first century Rome looked much different uh, than what we imagine for slaves who are generally uh, well-treated. They were not only unskilled laborers, but often managers and overseers and trained members of various professions, doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, skilled artisans, and not limited to one particular race based on skill, uh, skin color. And although there were extensive Roman legislations uh, regulating the treatment of slaves, nevertheless, the thought of Scripture instructing servants to be submissive with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, seem a bit off-putting and offensive to the modern hearers, to us, to say the least. Unfortunately, some have used, indeed, biblical verses like this to justify modern-day slavery. And there's so much we can talk about regarding the misuses of the Bible in such ways, which would be a topic for another conversation. But this is why exegesis is so crucial and important. This is why we have to dig deep and to carefully understand the meaning of the point of the passage. You see, what the author intended and not uh, uh, what we ourselves uh, try to draw into the meaning Okay? When, when we try to do that, when we try to draw culture and our perspectives and, and, and our worldviews into the text, then we misunderstand it. You see, because the point of these verses that Peter is exhorting elect exiles scattered all over his known world at the time 
was instruction for godly living. That no matter what times, no matter what status, no matter what earthly authority was over them, Peter was teaching us that this world is temporary, that this world is fleeting, that we are citizens of heaven, that Christ is our king. And in this view, he was teaching us how we ought to endure suffering even at the hands of unjust masters. The word there for unjust means crooked. So he acknowledges there are crooked, wicked masters, and we will prove who we are in him because of who he is, who Christ is, and what he has done for us when we endure under the hands of unjust masters. I love how the ESV translation correctly translates uh, that phrase, for this is a gracious thing. Other translations actually say it's a commendable thing, but the original meaning intends for us to know grace, grace through this particular suffering. What I mean by that is that you'll notice the phrase is repeated twice, don't you, in those two verses, verses 19 and uh, verse 20. This is what biblical scholars call an inclusio, simply everything that's in the middle of these verses, these two phrases, this is a gracious thing, this is a gracious thing, has to do with that phrase, this is a gracious thing. So what does it mean, this gracious thing that Peter is trying to explain? And, and it is this, trials and persecutions, suffering under unjust rulers, when we are mindful of God, when we fix our eyes on future grace, when we know that though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials, when we set our minds, when we fix our gaze, when we hope against all hope, when we love fellow brothers and sisters against all odds, when we submit ourselves to all human authority because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, what we can hope for, what we can wait for is the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance awaiting us at the revelation of Jesus Christ on that final day. You see that phrase in verse 20, right? For what credit is it? You see, in Christ, the credit we receive, the reward that we are awarded in our good endurance through suffering, even unjust suffering, is indeed the gracious salvation that will be presented to us, grace upon grace, which will be known and owned to us because of Him who credits us by His grace. Amen? He sees us, brothers and sisters, who endure under unjust rulers even, which leads me to my last point. Why should Christians be submissive in this way? Fourth and finally, for we are to be like Christ. For we are to be like Christ. Look at verses 21 through 25. It says this. Let's just look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Again, why should Christians be submissive? For to this we have been called. To follow in the footsteps of Christ, to be little Christs, to follow in his footsteps is what we've been called to. If by chance, by some heretical and demonic prosperity theology or cultural Christianity, you thought that following Jesus was about health, wealth, and status, Paul says, if anyone has preached to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed, let him be damned, because that is not the gospel. That is not Christianity. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear, that God, who is holy and righteous, created us in his image to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. 
But man, having been tempted by Satan, chose to be a god unto ourselves, disobeying God and His Word. As a result, we were separated from God, helpless to save ourselves from the vain and dissatisfying power and curse of sin. But God had a plan from the very beginning, from before the foundation of the world, to choose a people for His own possession, that we would come to know His infinite love. And that plan was to send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. And Peter says it clearly in verses 22 through 24, quoting from Isaiah 53, written 700 years earlier, that the prophesied and promised Messiah is indeed Jesus the Christ of Nazareth. Verse 22 says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why should we submit? Why should we submit? Because he is our Lord, and because we ought to follow in his footsteps. So friend, if you are here this afternoon and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to welcome you today. We're so glad that you are here with us. But if I may ask you a question, who is your ultimate authority? Everyone worships something. Everyone worships someone. And history proves that the self is a terrible master. Today, today you can surrender to him who is a good and gracious master who has proved himself over and over again for centuries to not disappoint, to guarantee, to provide grace upon grace for our salvation. So will you repent of your sins today? Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you and trust Him with your whole life today and forever. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, I'll be standing at the back door at the close of service. Our service leader, Jacob, will be standing here or maybe the back outside door. Or talk to somebody who's sitting next to you with a smile eager to talk to you about how you can follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, members of New Covenant Baptist Church, the Lord's Supper we're about to participate in is a visual reminder of Jesus' body broken for us and His blood spilt for us for our cleansing. I want to ask you, if you are a born-again child of God, are you submitting to Him today? Are you submitting to the authorities He's set before you? Are you submitting yourself under the authority, the gracious authority of the local church? Are you making yourself accountable, submitting yourself to God's design for your growth? Are you doing it? Are you doing it humbly? Let's come before him together, humbly and with repentant hearts, and ask his help that we as elect exiles may continue to be submissive for his glory, for his will to be done, for his grace to be revealed, for us to be more like Christ until he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we honor you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you that you are our only true master, that the authorities placed before us in this world, though corrupt and though imperfect, though wicked as some may be, Father, we can rely on you. We can look to you, the sovereign King and Lord, because you sit in the throne of heaven, reigning as the King of the universe. Father, we turn to you, even in these difficult days, because you are sovereign and in control. Though we may not understand fully all that you are doing, 
Father, we know at the end of days that you are in control, that you have a purpose for your people, for your church. Father, may these days cause those who are without hope to cry out to you, for your word says, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, for those of us who know you as Lord and King, confidently, boldly, urgently declare and proclaim your promises, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to all we meet. Build your church, we pray. Father, may we be a faithful, radiating witness of your gospel for your glory and for the good of your people until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.